0: jam Pack show today we are going to go over the tigers walk-off victory and their spring training game against the pirates on wednesday then we're going to talk about if there's a potential fit for a hobby to the dodgers trade or maybe lack thereof a fit and then we will end the show with a player preview on riley green all today on locked on tigers you are locked on tigers your daily detroit tigers podcast part of the locked on podcast network Your team every day. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another edition of Locked On Tigers. I'm, of course, your host, Scott Bentley. Today is Thursday, March 2nd, 2023. Thank you for making Locked On Tigers your first listen every single day. We are free and available wherever you get your podcasts, including YouTube. We are a part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All righty. So we have, as I said in the cold open there, a jam-packed show. Today, we're going to go over the Tigers' walk-off spring training victory yesterday. Then we're going to talk about, you know, like Gavin Lux got hurt. Everybody wants to talk about, oh, well, is is Javi traded to the Dodgers a possibility? So we're going to discuss that. And then we'll end the show with talking about Riley Green doing his player preview Relatively speaking, the green preview is shorter than a lot of other players, and that's not certainly not a a disagree, and I'm very fond of Riley Green, but I just feel like a lot of people are pretty much on the same page with him, and I feel like there's not uh, necessary for like a 30-minute deep dive on green alone, because everybody's pretty aware that he's... uh, arguably the most talented player on the team as the highest ceiling on the team and should be playing every single day, probably in center field. So we're going to talk about all that at the end of the show. Let's start off with a recap of yesterday's win. Like I said earlier, over the Pittsburgh pirates, Nick Mayton hit the walk-off home run in this one. Uh, just another bone to pick. I, I still, I can't believe that we are in 2023 And every spring training game is not televised. It's it's mind boggling to me. And like some teams just take it upon themselves. I know I talked about this literally yesterday, but it's just it it bothers me so much. It makes zero sense to me. Every other sport, like preseason games, are aired. And and like I said, some teams take it upon themselves to air like their own home spring training games, all of their home spring training games. And it's just it's it's unbelievable to me. That That is not just common, not common knowledge, but just common practice throughout every team. I, I Especially with streaming capabilities, it's 2023. You don't have to put it on cable TV. Just throw it on your website. I don't know. It, it's ridiculous to me. But this game was not televised. But Nick Maton goes yard, walk-off winner. He said it was on a fastball. Uh, the, the beat writers tweeted out some quotes after the game and, and Mayton said they gave me a heater and that's what he does. to fastballs. And that's something that we've talked about a lot since acquiring him. And we'll talk about a little bit more when we do our, our player preview and our deep dive on him, but he, he, he crushes fastballs, destroys them like for a, for a living, his uh, stats against fastballs just in his short stint last year, where were ridiculous, I mean, mashes fastballs, okay? But it's everything else that he didn't hit very well. And he had an OPS in the mid-800s, and it was a relatively shorter stint, all things considered. Uh, so, it, you know, grain of salt type of stuff with those numbers. But that is clearly the biggest thing. And that's not just documented and talked about by me. That's talked about by a lot of people, beat writers, et cetera. Very, very, very blatantly, the biggest piece of development and the biggest thing that we are hoping we can help him improve on and take a step forward on is hitting anything that's not a fastball because he already destroys fastballs. And that's that's great. There's nothing wrong with that, especially with a player with as little major league experience as he has at the moment. That's that's a, a good sign in development. A lot of people hit forcing fastballs really well or just fastballs in general really well when they first get called up and then develop into hitting other pitches. But that is certainly where he is at in the development thing. So really cool to see him at least continue mashing fastballs, but we're looking for for him to to start crushing those other pitches as well as spring training goes along. Uh, next up, again, this game was not televised, so I was not able to physically see like Matt Manning pitched, We'll talk about that in a second. Don't, don't know how he looked, but – uh, I know his velocity, and I know how other people think think he looks. I guess we'll just get into that right now. We're already talking about it. Uh, the, the fastball velo was under 90. I think it averaged at like 89, maybe closer to 90. But that that is low. That is low Matt Manning velocity. And the reason why there's some red flags just right away with that is I, I know that I've been the person all spring that's been like, hey, it's early in the spring. A lot of these dudes are going to come in under velocity and then build their way up. I still believe that to be true with Matt Manning. I'm not trying to, to steer you away from that opinion. I think that's how everyone should feel about like first appearances in spring for pitchers. Okay, The thing that makes it weird with just Matt Manning specifically, though, is that his fastball velocity has been inconsistent pretty much start to start since getting promoted. In 2021, right? Like that, that, for whatever reason, his fastball velocity has just, it's been a roller coaster, right? Like he he went, especially again in 2021. And then I guess last year he was hurt for a, for a large portion of the season. So it kind of had an effect there too. But like in the second half of 2021, we're talking about one start, you know, pumping 90 miles an hour. And then randomly in like the fourth inning, he'll throw 97. And you're like, what is happening? So, I think, and that was not different last year either. That's been a, a, a consistently inconsistent with his forcing fastball velocity so far since getting called up to the majors, and so that's why I, I think it it raised a little bit more red flags than it maybe should have or deserves to by this fan base after hearing that news, just because it's him. And again, I'm sure as spring training goes forward his velocity will get higher and higher and and everything will be fine. And this will be moot, but it is just worth noting because it's him. And and that's what makes it not frustrating, but just kind of, you look at it a little bit longer than you would, if it was anyone else, you go, all right, I'm going to remember that for his next outing. Uh, Other news and notes. There weren't a ton outside of those two. Uh, Miguel Cabrera had a really hard hit double actually, but, Uh, He also got a violation against. He wasn't ready in the batter's box in time. You know, they talked to the coaching staff after the game and they pretty much just admitted that they fully expect this to happen. And (laughs) which is, 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 you know, it's, it's Miggy being Miggy is like what we've said his entire career. And, uh, it sounds like a, a lot of people are, are aware that he loves to talk in between pitches and talk to the, the pitcher, talk to the catcher, talk to the umpire, talk to the opposing dugout. Like, that's that's Miggy's thing, and that's kind of being taken away. And so he's he's getting out of the game at, at the perfect time where it will only hinder him this season, and then he won't have to deal with it. Uh, but I, I fully expect regular season violations – against Miguel Cabrera in that regard. I, I don't expect, for him specifically at least, for it to only be a spring training thing, and then, oh, he grows out of it. Uh, I also don't expect Miggy to play, at like, I don't know, once a series maybe. I don't expect him to play, like, 120 games though either. So uh, it is what it is at this point. Uh, we're This is a farewell tour season. We know it's going to happen. I'm sure some people will laugh about it. Some people will be super angry about it. That's just how it is, and, and it's it's not – Too big of a deal to me, but it is something that after it happened and after the coaching staff was like, Yeah, that's that makes sense in my head. I went, Oh, yeah, that probably does make sense. And and that's something we should probably look out for throughout the season. Okay. Did have a really hard hit ball, though, for whatever that's worth as well. And then the last point just on the game is that Eric Haas destroyed another ball for a home run uh, 420 something feet on this one, too. Both of his homers are absolute. Moonshots, uh that's awesome and you know I I think that there we've talked about it before and I'm sure we'll talk about it again the catcher situation is is really intriguing and and it's not intriguing for Haas's sake but if he looks somewhat competent in the corner outfield and he's hitting super super well and then you see Jake Rogers looks really good behind the plate and Donnie Sands is hitting really well I, I think I continue to believe there is a path for all three of those dudes to make the major league roster. I don't think it's as far-fetched as people think. I don't think it's likely, but I don't think it's super far-fetched either. And so Eric Haas, destroying baseballs is, is what we need him to do, and I'm, I'm glad to see that already this early in spring he is doing so. Okay, I think that's it for the news and notes and observations from yesterday's ball game. Again, walk-off winner over Pittsburgh. Beauty. All right, let's get into this hobby discussion, which I don't think is much actually of a discussion, but it's going to be a discussion, okay? That made total sense. Let's talk about that right after I tell y'all about our friends over at FanDuel Sportsbook. It's the midway point of the NBA season, and it's the perfect time to download the FanDuel Sportsbook, America's number one sportsbook, because new customers get a no-sweat-first bet up to $1 thousand dollars that's bonus bets back if your first bet doesn't win just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app it's safe it's secure it's super easy to use Now you can bet on everything from the money line point scores three pointers drained etc plus FanDuel even lets you combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with a same game parlay so don't miss your chance to get your no sweat first bet up to one thousand dollars in bonus bets when you go to FanDuel.com slash locked on that's fanduel.com slash locked on to learn more make every moment more with fanduel an official sports betting partner of the nba all right everybody welcome back here segment two of locked on tigers i appreciate y'all for tuning in as always so let's get this Javi to the dodgers conversation honestly let's just get it over with this isn't happening Okay. cool. (laughs) There you go. Segment two done. Uh, Let's talk about why it's not happening, though. Uh, First off, the Dodgers, I think, are pretty set with some combination of Rojas and Taylor. Are those players as good as Javi Baez when he's at his best? No, definitely not. But I I think this is much more of a conversation than value than it is like fit. Do they would they love to upgrade at shortstop right now? I'm sure they would. Do they care that Javi is going to walk four and a half to five percent of the time and swing at balls in the opponent's batter's box? Opposing batter's box, I don't think as much as people think. Javi, my take on Javi has always been he is a very valuable player when he is not the best player. On your team, probably when he's not even in the best two or three players on your team. I think he is an elite non—I oh, don't want to say non-core piece because he was very clearly part of the core in Chicago, and, and and that team did great things. But he, he's he's a, a a very very key and very elite supporting piece. Okay, he he, he can't be the best player in your lineup. He can't you are not going to win a World Series if Javi Baez is the best player on uh, on in the position player side of your team okay but that doesn't mean he doesn't still have really good value and he hasn't put up some really darn good seasons over the years and again in the Dodgers situation as it stands right now he would be a supporting cast piece and he would be a really good one so I I don't subscribe to the logic of oh like he 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 Swings and misses at really dumb pitches, or he doesn't walk enough, and that's why the Dodgers don't want him. I don't. I don't think it's that black and white. He he's put up his three seasons leading up to being a Detroit Tiger. He put up a four WAR season, a six WAR season, and a six WAR season. Okay, I, I, that's that's value inherently, and so I, I I think that that they would obviously love to in a perfect world, but value wise is where I think the cross in the road is th- th- this is this is not a-, a fit like immediately when you think of value of player and contract I-, I think pretty quickly you throw this by the wayside and you stop thinking about it 25 million dollars a year this year he has an opt-out after this season and then the next that he probably won't take also to be clear and then the next four years are either 24 or 25 mil AAV got until he's like 34 35 years old the Dodgers didn't spend a ton of money this offseason. I think it's because they want to throw half a billion dollars at Shohei Otani. and I don't think their front office is uh, agrees with the value of twenty five million dollars AAV for Javier Baez, even though he objectively would be an upgrade over their present shortstop situation with Lux getting hurt. And uh, again, then adding on to that, that they would have to give up assets now doesn't have to be a ton, but they would have to give up something to acquire 24 and a half, 25 AAV Javi Baez at 30 years old. Okay. And I just, I don't think that the value is there. And I don't think that that matches up with what the Dodgers are trying to do. The only avenue I see, and, and I think it was Lynn Henning that tweeted something like this out. And he he talked about just the fact that the Tigers how much salary would they have to eat for this deal to go through? And that I think is the, really the only Avenue that is remotely possible for this to even happen is the tigers would have to eat a relatively substantial. It's not a hundred, but it's also certainly not zero or five or 10%. Okay. You'd have to take a legitimate chunk of his salary. And then on top of that, you're not going to be getting grade A amazing prospects in return. So then you're left with the dilemma of, at that point, is it even worth it? And I know there's a ton of Javi haters out there. I- I'm aware of that. Okay. But is it really worth it to eat a, a, a quite a bit of the salary, get next to nothing in return, for a dude that again, as reiterated earlier, three seasons leading up to last year, three seasons leading up to his first year in Detroit, four, six, and six win seasons. I, I I feel like no matter what your opinion on that, if you're screaming at me and you're like, you're an idiot, yes, obviously that's still worth it. I want him off my baseball team. Or if you're like, no, I love Javi, I think he still has MVP potential. No matter where you fall on that spectrum, okay, I I think. It is you can at least admit and realize that lining that up to make the perfect trade happen is very far-fetched. And I don't think that that's really in the realm of possibility. So is it, technically speaking, possible? It's a non-zero, for sure. It's it's not completely impossible. There's not a 0% chance that this happens. But is it bigger than maybe 1%? Also, probably not in my eyes. I don't think that this is an avenue. I don't think that this is anything legitimate. I don't think that this is something that that it makes sense for the Dodgers to really pursue. And I also don't think that it's something, given all the hoops that the Tigers would have to jump through to make this happen or to make Javi shinier to the Dodgers. I I I just I don't think it lines up really for either side. Makes sense. All right, let's talk Riley green. We'll do that right after this. All right, everybody, welcome back third and final segment here. Locked on tigers doing our player preview on Riley green today. Uh, Like I said, no, certainly no disrespect intended only giving him kind of one segment at the end of a show. However, I just again, like I said earlier, I feel like most people are on the same page with Green on what he has to improve on, where he, what his role is going to be on the team this year, and and all the stuff that we have a lot deeper conversations about with every other player. I feel like is not really necessary for Riley Green, so that's why it's kind of just a, a shorter conversation at the end here. But let's go over what Green did last year in 2022. He ended with a 682. OPS for your Detroit Tigers had a 0.9 win season according to fangraphs, so about a one-war player in 93 games, 253 batting average, 321 OBP, and a 362 slug. Had an 8.5% walk rate and a 28 and 28.7% K rate. Uh that was also accompanied by a 354. Babip, which is a little high but maybe maintainable for a dude like him that loves line drives and and balls into the gap uh only had five home runs if you're an rbi dude then he had 42 rbis and just the one stolen base so i think where to start with last season well we'll get to the biggest thing later so i i guess maybe that's that's not where we're going to start but one of the the things that immediately jumps off the page at me is the fact that I expect him to continue to walk more. And that's something that has obviously been been talked about a ton since Scott Harris took over. But if you just look at his minor league numbers by year, he's pretty consistently walking over 11% of the time at every single level of the minors. And then in 2022, 8.5% walk rate is not bad. Okay, I'm not trying to tell you that that's awful or anything like that. That is still in the 55th percentile of hitters in 2022 that's better than league average right over 50th percentile so he is already as a 22 year old last year and making his major league debut was walking at an above average clip the reason that i, I bring this up is because it makes me excited i think he can walk even more i, I think he can walk 10 or again even 11 percent of the time i mean seriously rookie ball 11.6 uh low way 11 double a 11 triple a in 2021 12 this is all percent walk rate like he, he's pretty consistently walking over 11 percent of the time and so this is a, a really good sign to me that immediately he was walking at an above league average clip but i think there's even still more room for improvement which makes me very very excited okay now the two biggest I don't want to call them negatives, but uh, the two biggest areas of struggle for green last season, one lifting the ball two, strikeouts. Okay. He struck out almost 29% of the time. That's a pretty high number that puts him in the 10th percentile in K rate. Okay. That's uh, again, bottom 10% of the league. That's, that's pretty not alarming, but the reason I bring this up is because, Again, if you look at the type of hitter he was in the minors, he's pretty consistently striking out 25-ish, more, honestly, 25 to 27% of the time at most levels. Okay? So that's just somewhat the type of hitter he is. Now, 29% is a little high. That's the highest it's ever been at any level. So I guess I expect him to cut down the strikeout rate a little bit But I don't think anyone should ever go into a season and look at Riley Green and go, wow, I really need him to strike out a lot less to be valuable. Riley Green can be an incredible baseball player and still, especially with the way the game is played now, and and still strike out 26-ish percent of the time, givers take a percent or two. Okay, so that's, that's something that a lot of people talked about. And the another reason why I think it's, it, you're okay living with that K rate, the whiff rate wasn't bad, 43rd percentile in whiff rate around league average. The chase rate, he was 61st percentile. So it's not like he was striking out because he was, he was going fishing or chasing consistently. Like he, he, he was laying off of bad pitches. We'll get into that even more a little bit later. Um, not swinging and missing a ton, not chasing a ton, and walking it over a league average clip. So basically just th- there's some holes in the strike zone. And I think that with development, we can consistently lower that K rate more and more and more year after year. And eventually if we can even get him to like a 30th or 40th percentile K rate, like compared to the rest of baseball, I'm, I'm going to be pretty happy with that. Okay. So that's something that I look for next year. Cut that K rate a little bit. Uh, th- the other thing that I think is the biggest takeaway from last season for Riley Green was the fact that he really struggled, I don't want to say lifting the ball, and I only don't want to say lifting the ball because he doesn't want to say lifting the ball. Uh, and, And I want to respect how he wants to word it, but not hitting ground balls, I'll put it that way. He hit a boatload of ground balls last season when looking at the batted ball data, every single ball put in play, he had a 56.8% ground ball rate. The league average last year was just under 45%. That's over 10% more ground balls hit for Riley Green than the league average hitter. Okay. Fly ball rate, 4% less than league average. Line drive rate, 3% less than league average. Pop-out rate, he pretty much never popped out. Way under league average there. That's a good sign. But if, if you're categorizing every batted ball event into those four categories, if you can just be league average, I don't need you to never hit ground balls and only hit line drives. That would be the perfect hitter, I guess. But if you can even cut that down, maybe not even the the ridiculous like 10% and or 12% and get to league average. If you can just cut that to, to 49%, have it be under half, and then divide that, what, almost 7% that we just took away from from the ground balls there, and divvy them up between, well, mostly line drives, but even a few fly, fly balls too, I, I think everyone would be pretty pumped about that. But that that's really, that is, I think, the biggest thing, the biggest takeaway from last season was, this dude needs to hit less ground balls. And it was a lot of grounders to second base as a lefty, a lot of just rolling over pitches. And his hard hit data is not bad. 77th percentile in hard hit rate. 61st percentile in average exit velocity. 60th percentile in barrel percentage, 44th percentile in expected slugging percentage. Like he's hitting the ball hard and has the potential to hit the ball even harder. It was just a lot of ground balls. So some adjustments there. They've talked to Hinch about it. They've talked to Green about it. Uh, Hinch thinks that uh, something that will come with the territory and and help improve that, that just over time is Just pitch selection and deciding on which pitches he wants to swing at. That was a quote from Hinch earlier in the week. So uh, definitely something to keep an eye out for there. Okay, so those I think are the two biggest things. When talking about other just minor areas to keep an eye on for, uh, last season, weirdly, it's not weird if you've been following Green since he was like in rookie ball, but it, it is unique. I'll put it that way. He was better against lefties than righties as a left-handed hitter. You do not see that very often, but if you go back and look at the minors, it's relatively consistent. Like he has always, and that's another reason why people think that this kid can be so special is because he's a lefty that doesn't struggle against lefties. Um, But being a 747 OPS hitter and an over 300 batting average against left-handed hitters in a rookie year and then having a 656 OPS against righties is weird just in a vacuum so I think we like it. just sounds so weird to say this but I would like him to be better against righties as a left-handed hitter that's a good hitter so that's definitely something to, to keep an eye on for as well um, and then kind of just when it comes to pitch selection this is something that I found fascinating to kind of piggyback off of A.J. Hinch's and Riley Green's comments. When we're looking at run value based on, like, pitches that he swung at versus pitches that he took, we we use this kind of chart and these stats a lot. We talked about it with Jonathan Scope. We've talked about it with a lot of pitchers as well. The run value over balls that are over the heart of the plate was a plus four. Okay? Solid. Nothing wrong with that. On chase pitches, plus nine. Really good eye. Did not go chasing very often. And on waste pitches, a plus eight. Balls that were nowhere near even, not even competitive pitches. Took almost all of those. On shadow pitches, balls that are fringe, strikes, or balls right on the edge of the zone there. Negative 17 was the run value on those. Fascinating to me. Okay, so did damage on on balls that were over the heart of the plate that he was supposed to, didn't chase pitches and didn't go fishing on waste pitches either. But on pitches that were fringe balls or strikes, when it just this is just swinging and taking. This is just the decision of do I swing at this pitch or not. This isn't even what he did with the ball when it was in play. Negative seventeen run value. So I think that that has something to do with what Hinch is saying when it comes to maybe just pitch selection. I think that that was pretty glaring to me. Only a few more points here. Uh, I want to talk about the defense. I'm trying to see if there's anything else I wanted to cover before the defense. and I don't think so. Yeah, I think that's it. Okay, let's talk defense, then we'll talk about role in the team in the future and this season. So defense, this is something that I caught a lot of heat for from people when Riley Green like was first coming up to the majors. And uh, I've I've always been of the belief that this outfield, when it's at its best years from now, when we're a competitive baseball team, well, I don't want to make it sound like we're like eight years away from being competitive. That's a different conversation. I think in the near future <laughs> – when this baseball team is going to be at its peak competitive window that peak competitive window involves an outfield in which Riley Green is playing corner outfield and not center field and i took caught a ton of heat for that because Riley Green was making diving catches and was playing really good defense i, I agree with you he's played really good defense i just want you to imagine a world in which the tigers then set that as the bar for defense in center field Okay, that this, I'm a visual learner. Imagine they look, he had a plus two OAA last year and a plus two DRS last year. So no matter what you use, he was a plus two. He's a positive defender in center field last season. If that's now the bar and they go, okay, as a front office, can we acquire someone defensively who is even better than being a slight plus defender in center field? And then move Riley Green and all of his great athleticism and great instincts over to the corner and now say we have a a borderline or just straight up elite defensive center fielder and center in a huge Comerica Park along with Riley Green's great defense at either left or right field. I think that that is the perfect outfield situation. It is not a slight on Riley Green at all. But unless he wakes up this season and and okay, that didn't come out right. Unless he wakes up tomorrow is what I was going to say and just becomes a, a plus a 12 OAA or, or a plus 15 DRS center fielder. I think that the, the best value for this team at its peak competitive window is going to be that. Now, that all being said, in 2023, play him at center. See if he can take even more strides defensively because I would love for him to be just an elite defensive center fielder. That'd be awesome. So play him in center field. Let him develop out there. He also is probably your best option at center field. And if you're just trying to put the best team together with the roster you're given, it's probably going to be with Riley Green at center field more nights than not. Now, it wouldn't shock me if, especially if Parker Meadows gets a look at the majors this season or something like that, that Green, play, he didn't play a single game not in center field last year. It wouldn't surprise me if he played a, maybe a few games, maybe a handful in left or right this year, depending on the situation. But, like, Parker Meadows can fly. Like, he's objectively faster than Riley Green. And if you can – I don't know. I, I, and I'm not saying it's necessarily just for Parker Meadows. Like, it, you can acquire someone in free agency or trade or or develop someone else in the system – I don't know who it's going to be. I, I, I'm not saying we're bringing in Kevin Kiermaier tomorrow. I'm just saying it, it would be fascinating to me if you could just get an elite defensive outfield. And I think the only way really to have a truly elite outfield defensively is for eventually Riley Green to move to the corners. Okay. And I I don't want to keep repeating myself and just say it's not a slight against him, but I, I caught a lot of heat for that opinion the first time. So just trying to reiterate that 2023, though, you're showcasing him. He should be in center field. I agree with that. And he should be somewhere between first, second, and third in your batting order on a nightly basis. He has the highest ceiling out of any position player on this team, probably of any player on this team. This dude has a ceiling of being the best player on a legitimate competitive ball club. And you need to give him as many at-bats as possible. You need to give him as many looks defensively in center field as possible for the time being. He he should be your primary focus every single night. And that is what role he should have in 2023. Showcase, be the dude, because he is, he's him. And I cannot wait to see what adjustments he's made. And honestly, I, I just, I can't wait to watch Riley Green again. Because even last year, I mean, he had a sub 700 OPS. It's not like he was not going to cover off the ball or anything, but the intangibles are there. The the profile is there. He is going to be a very, very good baseball player. And I cannot wait to watch him thrive in 2023. All right, that's all I got. Thanks for making Locked On Tigers your first listen every single day. For your next listen, check on the Locked On Fantasy Baseball podcast. Win your league by listening to Matt and Dom every day as they bring you the best fantasy draft strategies. Find Locked On Fantasy Baseball wherever you get your podcasts and on YouTube. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team, every day. All right, I think that's it. Covered everything we wanted to cover. We will be back tomorrow for our Friday episode. Uh, big day for the Red Wings on Wednesday and probably big rest of the week for the Red Wings. I am also the host at Locked On Wings. If you care about the Wings, you should go listen to Brian and I talk about the Heronic trade, the Larkin extension, the Wallman extension, the rest of the deadline that's going to be happening the rest of the week. It's going to be a crazy next 48 hours. All right. I appreciate you all a ton. Thank you for rocking with me as always. And, yeah, peace and love. Going to Therapy's Dope, and I'll catch you all tomorrow, baby. Go Tigers. New year, new credit scores. Chime makes it easier to build credit by using your own money to make on-time payments with a secured Chime Credit Builder Visa credit card. Use it everywhere Visa credit cards are accepted. To apply, just open a Chime checking account with a qualifying direct deposit. There's no annual fee or credit check required when applying. Get started at Chime.com build. That's Chime.com build. The Chime Credit Builder Visa credit card is issued by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Late payment may negatively impact your credit score. Results may vary.